wind blowing toward right field. If Alex could find something to pull, get it in the air, he would get some help. Familia's next pitch. Belted to deep center. Back goes Lagares. And gone, Alex Gordon. And comes the pitch. Broken bat, one hopper to third. And over to first in time. Runner going to try to score. Wild throw. Hosmer gambling that he could dash home on the throw to first base. And the Royals have tied the game. For the very best in baseball, this is the place you want to be. Welcome into the Locked On Royals podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. I appreciate everyone who's taken the time to go over there and follow me and also uh, interact over there. It's been fun, and I hope that we continue to grow that way. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast, and if you're on iTunes, leave a Quick five-star review for me if you don't mind. And tell me what you like about the show and even what you don't like about the show that we can help improve as we try to grow this new Lockdown Royals podcast as this season gets underway. So excited to be a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network and be hosting the Lockdown Royals podcast every single day. Our first week this week of every single day shows. And that will continue throughout the entire MLB season. So on today's show, although we are Lockdown Royals, we're going to do some MLB house cleaning Not much Royals news has come out in the last few weeks, but there's a ton of MLB stuff that we have missed while we talk about the Royals. So I want to clean that up a little bit right now, and then tomorrow on Friday, we'll get things going back with the Royals. So we're going to discuss Mookie Betts, of course, that that crazy deal, and also discuss could the NL be possibly adding a DH, as well as one of the most underrated moves of this offseason that happened this week. So the Boston Red Sox traded Mookie Betts, for Alex Vertigo and a pitcher from the Twins. So they got two good prospects back for the second best player in baseball. Now they also got to offload David Price's contract, so that that helps. But they got two good prospects back for the second best player in baseball. And if you want to factor in availability, if you want to factor in the ability to stay on the field and play, he might be the best baseball player. Because while Mike Trout is awesome... I have a tough time penciling him in for 162 games. That is frustrating for Red Sox fans, I imagine, because this is a move the Royals are supposed to make. This is a move the Marlins are supposed to make. And then this is a move that the Rays are supposed to make, only the Rays do it well. The Rays trade Tommy Pham and get back and get back his replacement on a cheaper deal. The Rays trade their quality players, David Price. They trade their guys and they get back contending pieces. They're the only team that can do it. And now the Ra- and now the Red Sox are run by a Rays member, a former member of the Rays front office. But whenever you're the Red Sox and you're that fan base, you have a tough time coming to grips with the fact that you're not going to spend the luxury tax. You don't want to be in the repeater's tax anymore. For so long, the Red Sox were just, who cares? It doesn't matter. And it shouldn't matter for the Red Sox. You're you're the 1%. The luxury tax should only matter for the Rays, the Marlins, the Royals, and teams of that elk. The Dodgers and, and Yankees and Red Sox shouldn't have to worry about the luxury tax. 
So why do the Red Sox make this deal? I think it's because, one, they don't want to pay the repeater tax. And two, they must not believe they can re-sign Mookie Betts in the offseason. They've set themselves up terribly by handing out the contracts to Price, to Evaldi, to Sale, and not leaving any room, J.D. Martinez, and not leaving any room for Mookie Betts. So the financial work is difficult. Maybe they have an inkling that they're too far away on what Mookie wants to re-sign him, so let's go ahead and trade him and get something for him. Which is something, again, that, that operates with teams like the Royals and rarely ever teams like the Red Sox. The biggest thing for this trade is that not only did you trade the second best player in baseball, and again, if you want to factor in availability, if you want to add that into his credentials, he could be considered the best player in baseball because you know he's going to be on the field. So my thing here is you not only trade him, but you add in David Price to the deal, making Mookie Betts a sweetener for a salary dump. I know David Price is not who he once was, and I know he has a bloated contract, but I refuse to believe that you needed the second best player in baseball to be able to offload that contract, that there was no other way for you to offload that contract than without the second best player in baseball. And in return, you got back Alex Vertigo and a pitcher from the Twins who can't even pass his physical, and it's causing this steal to hit a snag. The question now around this deal has been, is the market busting? Are these big contracts to Trout, to Harper, Machado, Hosmer, are these big contracts, even Eric Hosmer got a huge deal, which is incredible to think about, as you all know, who have watched Eric Hosmer for the majority of his career. How in the world was that worth $100 million? That's crazy. But is the contract market busting? Is that why the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts? Because eventually you run out of money. You cannot keep handing out contract after contract. And what I'd say to that is no. The revenue is going up every single year in baseball. They can say the sport is dying all they want to. The revenue increases every year. And now, if you're a baseball front office, the market has been set. The undisputed best player in baseball, in terms of strictly talent, Mike Trout has signed his deal. It's like whenever Mahomes is going to sign his contract. The quarterback market will dry up because you're not better than Mahomes, so that's the ceiling. How much worse are you than Mahomes? Are you 10 times worse? 50 times worse? And then we can work your contract down from Mahomes. But you're not getting more than Mahomes. So it's like that in baseball in the sense of Mookie Betts is great, he's an awesome player, but he's not getting more than Mike Trout. So I think that the deal is going to be coming down from now on in the sense of it's going to be equal amount of pay to Harper with $100 million and something like that. But you're not going to exceed Mike Trout. What I'm saying here is that the market is still going to be there. There's still going to be huge deals given out. We're not going to shift and see a dramatic change into only handing out one-year deals or, or $20 million deals. That's not going to be the case. We're still going to see large contracts, but the market's been set at Mike Trout. Again, no one is going to surpass that. So I don't think that the market is busting by any means, especially when you consider revenue sharing, revenue generated has not gone down in baseball. It's going up. So this right now looks like a devastating trade for the Red Sox. You give up Price, you give up Mookie Betts for two prospects. 
a solid pitcher and a position player in Alex Vertigo who looks like he can be good. Looks like there's a possibility that he can turn into something good, an all-star. But he's not going to turn into a superstar. I can tell you that right now. He's not going to be a superstar. So you give up a second, the second best player in baseball, a generational talent. You gave him up for hopefully an all-star and a solid pitching prospect. When you're the Boston Red Sox. I don't like that. The flip side of this coin, the evil side of this coin, the shocking side of this coin will be brought to you next right after the break. So we're back here at the Lockdown Rolls Podcast, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. And the flip side of the Mookie Betts coin. Right now, obviously, everyone is just devastated by the Red Sox acting as a small market team. How could you trade him for nothing? What if? And get ready. Sit sit down if you're standing up. Sit down. Put on your tinfoil hat. If the main goal of this for the Red Sox was to dodge the offender's tax, which is you know being in the tax for two or more years, you duck under that this year. You play this year out. You finish fourth in the AL East. And in the offseason, what if you re-sign Mookie Betts and bring him back to Boston? That would be pretty crazy. Because there's no reports right now that things have ended poorly in Boston. There's no reports right now that the two sides are on bad terms. So if you can make the money work this offseason, Mookie Betts will come. He's made it known that money is pretty much all he cares about this offseason. He wants to get paid what he deserves, and he deserves a ton of money. And it doesn't sound like he cares where it comes from. How hilarious would that be if the Red Sox make this move and then re-sign Mookie Betts? Because then, the bad return you got for Betts doesn't matter in the sense of, and why wouldn't the bad return matter at that point? Well, because even if you kept Mookie Betts and David Price on this team, I still think they're the third best team in the AL East. Is that good enough for a second wildcard spot? In an AL that sees half the league vying for a playoff spot and actually trying to compete, you have the Twins, Indians, and White Sox all trying to make the playoffs just in the AL Central alone, which was the worst division in baseball last year. You have the Astros, Rangers, and Angels, and Athletics out there in the West trying to make the playoffs this year, all thinking that they can make the postseason. So the Red Sox, who made no improvements this year, would not have gotten there anyway. So if you get anything from Mookie Betts and then re-sign him this offseason, that would be hilarious. I don't think it'll happen, but what if that did happen? That would be that would be pretty evil. That'd be pretty funny. So I want to talk about one of the most underrated moves this offseason. I think that the Angels trade right after the Betts trade. They they got in there as a separate trade. Some people thought it was going to be a three-team trade with the Angels. Instead, it was a, a separate trade. And in return, they got back Ross Stripling from the Dodgers and Jock Peterson from the Dodgers. Now, Ross Stripling, I think, has the potential to be an ace. And the Angels desperately need pitching. I've said that since this show began, that the Angels have a good lineup, but they desperately need some pitchers. And they got one. I truly believe Ross Stripling can be an ace in this league. I think he can be a ace. Ross has all the talent in the world, and I think that him coming to the Angels and, and heading up that staff is going to be awesome for him. And then you also get Jock Peterson. And Jock Peterson is a guy who has a ton of power, 
and a ton of potential. He hasn't been able to figure it all out in the Dodgers with the Dodgers, shuffling in and out of the lineup, a stacked roster, a lot of pressure. But I think Jock Peterson still has the ability to turn his career around and show why he had all that hype around him. Jock Peterson at one time was one of the most dynamic players in baseball in the sense of he would generate a ton of buzz and and every play he made was on Twitter and and every home run he hit was amazing and jaw-dropping. He had a ton of attention on him. He has that kind of power. He has that kind of ability. And if a change of scenery could do him good... I think that Jock Peterson on a flyer, along with an ace, is a great trade. You're at least going to get a lot of home runs from Jock. Now, you might not get a good average, but you're going to at least get a ton of home runs. And so adding power to that lineup is huge. I like what the Angels have done this offseason. I'm not sure if it's enough to get to the playoffs, because again, even with Ross, they still need a ton of pitching. But I like this move. I think this is an underrated move that gets lost in the shuffle of the Mookie Betts trade. We're so wrapped up in, is the Betts trade going to go through? How terrible was that return? What are the physicals looking like? That Ross and Jock to Angels trade is, is huge to me. I really like both of those additions to LA. So let's end out this show by talking about should the NL add the DH. And this is a topic that we pretty much have every year around baseball. In the baseball community, every year we talk about should the NL add it? What, what about the strategy of baseball? Blah, blah, blah. The short answer is yes. The NL should have a DH. Both rules should should apply in the AL and NL. It should be the same rules all the way around. The Western and Eastern Conference in basketball is not played by different rules. The AFL and NFC do not play by, by different rules. I should say AFC and, and, and uh, NFC. Do not play by different rules in football. Baseball should be the same way. It should be a uniformed rule. And the better rule here for more fun and exciting games is adding a DH. You can say strategy, and I used to be somebody who believed in that as well. But by saying strategy, you're saying it takes no strategy, no effort, and no ability to be an AL manager. And then you can say, but what about the hit, but the, the pitchers who can hit? What about all the pitchers who are good hitters? Zach Greinke, Madison Bumgardner. What about those guys? Well, number one, as the Giants showed you a few years ago whenever they took a trip to Oakland, number one, the DH does not need to be applied. Even if the rule is there... You can forfeit your right to a DH. You can still allow the pitcher to hit, and you can just waive your right to have the DH. So he can still hit if you you really want Madison Bumgarner in the box. You can still put him there. And number two, most importantly, even the best hitting pitchers look like Alcides Escobar at the plate. And that's not good, folks. That's not good. I know Esky's a fan favorite. He's one of the worst hitters I've ever seen. Even the best hitting pitchers are terrible hitters. If they put up those numbers in the in the field, it would be disgraceful, and they would be off the team immediately. They are pitchers, not hitters. It makes no sense to force them to hit. It's resulted in a couple injuries, Adam Wainwright being one. Just add the DH for more fun games, more competitive games, and even if you're so worried about record books, which, which MLB is, MLB is so worried about the record books and the numbers and the statistics, then why are we giving NL pitchers a free out every eight batters? The ninth batter in the order is a pitcher in the NL. 
Would you rather go up against Noah Syndergaard or David Ortiz or Kendrys Morales or Edgar Martinez or any of these good DHs in the in the AL or great DHs in the AL? I'd rather face the pitcher, and that will get me more strikeouts, could get me more scoreless innings, could, again, if you're a good pitcher, you're not getting taken deep by a pitcher too often. You're not giving up hits to pitchers too often. So that's a huge luxury to have in the statistics. If you play your entire career in the NL, and you can rack up some strikeouts against opposing pitchers, that's a luxury that most pitchers who play their whole career in the AL do not get to do not get at all. They're having to go up against DHs. It's crazy to me. It's crazy to me. Another thing is that strategy you talk about is really a hindrance to the game. If Aaron Nola is dealing for the Phillies, I don't want him to get pulled out with 85 pitches and a gem of a game going on just because he's due up next in the in the order. I don't want Aaron Nola, who has 85 pitches and is carving up the Pirates to be taken out in the top of the in the top of the sixth just because he's hitting. So not only does it create more offense, it creates seeing pitchers go longer into games, the good starting pitchers. I think that the NL should add a DH. The earliest we'd see it is after the new CBA is signed. So it'll be about 2022 before we see anything. But the reason I brought this up is, is not to have the hokey sports talk radio argument about DHs. But for, for once, this is actually a legitimate argument because it can change. It can change really quickly. Again, next offseason, we can know the outcome of the new CBA, and it could be adding an, adding a DH in the NL amongst other things. So this is actually a, relative, a, a relevant conversation to have. So let's talk about what's going to be coming up on Friday. We're going to talk about uh, Brady Singer and also should he start in the big leagues. Should Brady Singer start with the Royals in the big leagues on opening day? We're also going to talk about the MLB string, spring training hats. I love hats. I love uniforms. And they released them, so I'm going to talk about which ones I like, which ones I, which ones I don't like. Spoiler alert, there's a ton I don't like. And then we'll start our pre-spring training preview. We're going to start that with the AL East tomorrow. So thank you all for listening to the Lockdown Royals podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Be good and be good to one another, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Locked On Rolls Podcast.